Hello and welcome to the Third Sector Podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney, Senior Features and Analysis Writer. And I'm Emily Burt, Editor of Third Sector, the UK's leading publication for the voluntary and not-for-profit sector. Each week we sit down for a quick-fire conversation about the interesting or unusual goings-on in the charity world. And this week we're discussing how charities can run successful hybrid online and physical events now that coronavirus restrictions have largely been lifted. And in this week's Good News Bulletin, we've got a pair of London-based entrepreneurs who are repurposing and donating useful items from UK events to charities and community groups and social enterprises. Very timely. So here's a question. What were the best online events that you attended? Air quotes don't really work on, on podcasts, but that you attended during the pandemic? Uh, so there is one absolute standout for me, um, which was right at the beginning of the pandemic. And it was a digital event with a hairdresser who did a live demonstration of how to cut your fringe at home. And you you donated to Fiverr to come. All the proceeds were donated to the abortion support network. And it was brilliant. He had a model in his living room and he just had his scissors. And he was like, if you only have kitchen scissors, this is what you can do. Well, if you only have kitchen scissors, don't. But, (laughs) you know, and he kind of went through with all the different kinds of scissors you might have at home and what you can use and what you shouldn't use. And then it was it was such a simple concept, but so necessary because so many of us fringy people were suddenly stuck at home and things were getting out of hand. I was going to say, regular listeners to the podcast will know that this is a subject close to your heart, getting one's phone. <laughs> and there were loads of people on this call and you could ask questions about the different ways to try and give yourself, say, a feathery fringe or a blunt chop. And at that event, I learned at-home techniques that I still use two years later when I don't have time to run to the hairdresser. Um, so that was that was great. I did also attend a virtual Hindu that my sister threw for me. Amazing. Um, well, yes, but I have to say it was considerably less productive and it did end up with me being put to bed by my mother at around 10 p.m. So, uh, <laughs> it's memorable, but... Uh, not for you, apparently. Not not that great. Yeah, how about you? Um, I think for me, um, it was doing a poetry competition in New Zealand, um, which, yeah, was great. And like, obviously there is no way I would have been able to attend that in normal circumstances without like a lot of money, air travel and, you know, relocating to a different hemisphere for a bit. And yeah, and like, and there were quite a few of these different poetry slam events and poetry open mics going on sort of throughout the pandemic. And while it wasn't the same as performing live, a lot of the organisers, and particularly this one in New Zealand, did a really fantastic job of like encouraging people to interact in the chat. They read out some of the stuff that was being said in the chat. And this particular New Zealand event, one friend of mine phrased it, it was like being on a Zoom call with atmosphere which I thought was pretty impressive, actually. Like, it didn't just feel like we're all just sitting in our little living rooms. We were all part of it. And I've kind of, you know, I've made a whole bunch of new friends through these events that geographically I just, I would not have been able to attend otherwise. And yeah. And, you know, we all had to go online. We all had to go remote when the pandemic kicked off. And it very much feels like stating the obvious to say that the pandemic did force charities to make radical changes in a very short space of time. Digital transformations that have been projected to take years for these organisations were suddenly condensed into a matter of weeks. And as part of that, there was a huge expansion in online events because there was the demand for it and because it was the only way these events were going to go ahead at a time when, you know, live mass participation fundraising events were completely unable to take place. Right. And even smaller ones that just would have involved people physically being in mm. the same space, breathing the same air, 
not going to happen. Um, and But these events also created new opportunities to engage with supporters and to fundraise. Um, and for some charities as well, it actually became a way to stay closer to their mission and values. So for charities that focus on, say, disability or accessibility issues, for example, online events were much more accessible for people who, for example, can't leave the house easily or can't afford train fares to London. And for environmental charities, and of course, as we keep saying, you know, the environment is every charity's concern, you know, they did cut the need for travel, which may well have contributed to a reduction in CO2 emissions. Lots of great reasons for these things to continue. But of course, the main factor or a key factor also being that this pandemic is still not over. Restrictions may have been lifted in this country for the time being, but there are still going to be a sizable number of people who don't feel comfortable in large gatherings. So it makes complete sense for charities to be thinking about how they can offer events that bring together both in-person and virtual elements. And actually, this is about more than just the pandemic. So um, the other week, the week of Storm Eunice, I was at a three-day arts festival in Birmingham, and the storm caused so much disruption on the trains that a significant portion of the audience just couldn't make it. Um, But because the organisers had planned for the event to be hybrid from the outset because of potential COVID problems, people who couldn't make it were still able to watch and participate remotely. They were just handed the relevant live stream link and, 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 and they got on with it and there was absolutely no fuss at all. I definitely think that we have all move beyond now the sense that you know at some point this is going to end and we will just go back to normal pre-pandemic life and so even I think looking to a sort of a post-pandemic future that's in air quotes um, I think hybrid events that are going to blend those in-person activities with a digital offering um, will probably be allowing charities to preserve some of the benefits of that switch to digital of which there have been many Mm. while also embracing you know the return of live events and having that in-person connection which we've all been sorely missing in the last two years. Right. As you say, there have been benefits and and yeah, being able to maintain the best of both worlds seems like a really, really positive thing. So I wrote about this issue for the last edition of the magazine. And at the time I was putting this together, it was sort of towards the end of last year, there was a fair bit of uncertainty about what Omicron was going to mean, whether you know more restrictions were going to be needed and so on. There was a bit of a fear that we were going to end up back in lockdown. Um, and as we've seen, it's definitely gone the other way. But it does seem likely that we're still going to see an increase in the number of hybrid events partly for all the reasons we've just laid out and partly because there were so few of them before that actually any hybrid offering is likely to represent an increase. And I think, you know, what's interesting is the point we're at now, organisations are just starting to think, what does hybrid actually look like for us? And how do we do that? Well, and there's a really big question, which is how do charities go around and make events really hybrid? I think it's very easy to fall into a trap of saying, all right, we're going to just make sure there is a live stream for every event that we run. Now, that's the sort of thing that might work okay if you are giving, say, a conference or you're having a sort of performance event or a talk. But for something else, such as, say, a gala dinner, you kind of have to wonder who is going to tune in to watch a whole bunch of people eating their dinner in real time, like The Sims or say, uh, <laughs> like, a, a, you know, I was saying it out loud and I was like, no, I definitely used to do that when I was a teenager, but not real people, definitely The Sims. And then you'd set fire to the oven and just liven things up a bit. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like a weird sort of zoological experiment, you can't really see the appeal. Uh, making dinner. On the other hand, another experience altogether. I mean, one of the best examples I saw of an organisation that pivoted to digital during the pandemic came from the charity My Grateful. Um, I don't know if you have heard of them. No. 
Okay, so my Grateful Run cookery classes, which are led by refugees, asylum seekers and migrants who are struggling to integrate and access employment in this country. And uh, pre-pandemic, these cookery classes would be held in person and then you would all sit down together and enjoy a meal afterwards. But of course, when the pandemic struck, they had to cancel more than 60 classes in one go. So the charity suddenly found itself needing to raise more than 40 grand online. Um, and so they started to deliver their cookery classes virtually. And by doing this, they just absolutely smashed their online fundraising target and people were signing up to come and cook together from all over the world. And so now uh, in today's environment, you can take classes either in person again or you can do it virtually and you can enjoy learning professional cookery skills from wherever you happen to be. And I think that's the sort of setup that really works for a sort of hybrid event because you could totally have people cooking in the room together. But if you also had a camera set up near the head chef, people could also enjoy that evening from the comfort of their own home and get their own delicious meal at the end of it. Absolutely. That is such a good example of of lots of the stuff we've been seeing in fundraising about kind of using the charity's resources to generate income as well. And yes, the the digital aspect of that really kind of, yeah, increases the potential for that income. And yeah, like you say, like I've I've been to workshops uh, at this arts festival in Birmingham where they were sort of, you know, the course leader was chatting to a couple of people on a laptop and sort of to the rest of us in the room. And it actually worked really well. I think I think it was probably quite hard work for the course leader, but it did work. So for this piece, I spoke to Nikki Bell, who is the co-founder of Fundraising Everywhere, which itself is a virtual events platform. And she pointed out that one type of event that can work really well as hybrid events are mass participation events. And actually, when you think about it, we've already seen a really successful version of this play out. In 2020, coronavirus restrictions meant that the London Marathon was only open to elite athletes. And obviously, that was that was terrible news for charities that, that wanted to have the amateur runners, that wanted to use, be using that as a, a massive fundraising occasion. So the organisers developed a virtual option, which allowed people to take part virtually by completing 26.2 miles at a time and place of their choosing over that marathon weekend while logging their progress on an app. And then in 2021, when the in-person race was reopened for mass participation, the organisers kept the app option open, running it in tandem with the physical event. And as a result, the races doubled participation compared with 2019, with a record 80,000 runners taking part. Yes, that was an absolutely record smashing race. I don't know if you've heard, but Andy Ricketts did actually run the London Marathon in October 2021. We've definitely mentioned it, and we are still in awe. (laughs) In-person and hybrid runners. But As Nikki pointed out in your article, you know, it can also work for a much smaller scale event as well. And it gives you that flexibility to say to supporters, if you feel safe and comfortable to attend this event at this location, this is where we're going to be. But if you want to do it in your own time and in your own space, then you can track it virtually as well. And then afterwards, potentially, you can throw something like a virtual after party that will help to bring participants together and to share that sense of involvement and that sense of celebration. Right, absolutely. And hybrid events can also be used really effectively for working with much smaller groups, for example, stewardship occasions or work with major donors. So Nikki pointed to a really interesting example of East Anglia Air Ambulance. They took a group of donors on a tour of the charity's hangar, which obviously is a really nice way to give donors that sort of behind the scenes look at what they're helping to achieve, helping them feeling involved, like they're getting a kind of special access. Um, But the tour was accompanied by a camera operator with the guide addressing the camera as well as the people who were physically present. So again, people feel involved. And anecdotally, Nikki did also say that some charities have been able to raise more money from major donors in this way than they would have otherwise, which 
makes sense. High net worth individuals are likely to be busy. They may not have the time to travel to these sorts of things. So virtual events make them much more likely to attend and then be inspired to give more. But let's be honest, coming up with and actually pulling off these types of events is potentially going to require fundraisers to develop and or use a whole new skill set. There's no getting around that. And it is possible that there will be a bit of a skills gap, particularly where events fundraisers may well have been furloughed or laid off in the last year. It's absolutely true. And even though we have made those huge strides in using digital technology in the past couple of years, there's definitely been a lot of disparity among different teams in the sector in terms of who was comfortable using digital and who wasn't. So if you're an organisation that is very digitally comfortable and you're very agile, you'll probably be in a good position to start creating these hybrid events. But having said that, lots of charities have also seen great success with virtual and hybrid events by using existing third-party platforms. You don't necessarily have to go down that bespoke route. Between August 2020 and May 2021, the cancer charity Breast Cancer Now raised £5.5 million just using Facebook. And birthday fundraisers were a big chunk of this, where you ask someone to make a donation to celebrate your birthday. But the charity also created a set of virtual challenge events that it promoted using the social media platform. So Breast Cancer Now runs a Walk 300,000 challenge, which encourages its supporters to walk 300,000 steps in a month and raise money for the charity. That raised 350 grand in 2021. And with people setting up the fundraisers on Facebook, it sent out notifications to their friends and family to show that they could either donate or to get involved. Um, And that social element of it led to an influx of other events and other people starting to participate. Right. And you can absolutely see how easily that could become a hybrid event rather than just a digital event that the charity could run an in-person version alongside that very, very easily. But of course, Getting the skills and the technology in place to run these events is going to mean you run into the perennial problem in fundraising of getting buy-in from a senior level. And that can be tricky, particularly when you're talking about things like stewardship or pre-donation, awareness raising events, because often those things don't show an immediate or direct return on investment. Absolutely. And I think senior leadership buy-in is a core part of this. And you do have to convince your senior management and you have to convince your trustees that they can take this gamble and give it a go. And that's definitely a challenge. Ultimately, what Nikki said as well was uh, that charities have to wrap their head around the idea that online events and the online aspects of hybrid events do also need that same amount of budget and experience as straightforward live ones. From what I've personally seen in the sector, I think something really important to bear in mind is to recognise when something is not working and being comfortable to let it go when that's the case, which can be difficult, especially if you've made that investment. But I think Comic Relief, for example, talked about running virtual comedy clubs during the first lockdown. And although the first couple of them were quite successful on Zoom, they did very quickly realise that they just didn't work without that in-the-room energy. So they stopped doing them. And I think lots of organisations need to be brave enough to go, this isn't working, so we're going to just stop. Yeah, absolutely. And that is difficult, but yeah, worth doing. Um, So I had a really interesting conversation with Nikki for this piece. Um, And here are kind of the, the top five pieces of advice for running hybrid events that I was able to draw out from the discussion we had. So first up, her advice was to create connection. So this is around what we were saying about ensuring the people who are involved remotely are actively involved and having a good time. The key thing Nikki said was that the experience for everyone has to be a high quality one, which makes the person watching on the computer or the telly feel like they're part of it. And you know, in practice, this is probably going to mean adding elements that cater primarily to the online audience rather than treating them like an add-on. So we had the, the gala dinner uh, example earlier where like, you know, 
sitting watching other people eating is always going to be a bit naff. Um, and you've got to do something that's going to compensate for not having that feeling of, you know, getting dressed up and making an effort and having a shared experience with other people. So Nikki suggested sending recipe boxes and having virtual cook-alongs for those attending remotely. So they all feel like they've had a bit of a bonding experience together. And and you know, the shared meal has come out of the, the gala. It's not just making your own dinner and watching other people eat a nice one. Um, or the air ambulance example with the major donors that we mentioned before. Um, so where elements of the tour just wasn't going to work well on film, attendees were shown personalised messages from the crew instead. So again, rather than having this kind of weird, awkward experience that just hammers home kind of this, this, this feeling of, this is what you're missing out on. This would be good if you were here. You get something a bit extra and a bit different to replace it. Bespoke. You know, and having that time and care given to it makes all the difference. Yeah. So the second piece of advice from Nikki was to think about adapting events that already work for you. Of course, you can't exactly replicate or live stream in-person events and just have a good hybrid experience on your hands, as you were saying a moment ago. But that doesn't mean you have to completely reinvent the wheel and spend hours coming up with new event concepts. Um, And Nikki said, you know, every charity should have something that they can adapt for hybrid. And within that, you can test things out. So the trick might be to start with a small audience and build it up from there, keeping what works and further adapting what doesn't, and then eventually ensuring you end up with a model that's going to appeal to your audience. It's all part of that test and learn process. I thought a really interesting example I saw during the pandemic of a charity adapting something that it already had that worked well was Diabetes UK. Um, Their biggest annual fundraising event is their One Million Step Challenge. Um, And it's an annual challenge where they encourage people to complete 10,000 steps a day over the course of three months. Now, this was actually virtual before the pandemic even began. So when everybody went remote, it would have been a totally simple thing to just continue delivering it as they always had done. Um, But instead, they made a few small tweaks and meant that they were able to actually tailor that challenge for a far wider audience, just, you know, changing their marketing, changing their messaging a bit to make sure that they were communicating with their um, supporters who were clinically vulnerable and making sure it was adapted so that those people could, you know, actually participate from home if they were shielding and also investing time and resources again in the challenges Facebook group to make that experience more interactive so people could be sharing with other members of the community and helping to boost that sense of we're doing something together here. In the end the event managed to raise 1.9 million so that's more in one year than it had raised in the last four years and almost twice the target it set itself in 2020. That's a brilliant amount of money to raise. And yeah, you can't argue with results like that. Um, Right. So the third bit of advice was to draw on the skills you already have. So we've talked about this potential skills gap and we'll come back to that in a moment. But a lot of the really important elements of hybrid are also the basics of fundraising. So take this point around making people feeling connected. As Nikki pointed out, that's everything good fundraising should be about anyway. So why should the medium change it? And the same goes for the way you integrate the digital parts of events into existing events. Nikki said that most fundraisers are going to be aware of the need for different fundraising elements, such as direct mail and email, to be combined and to complement each other. And the same applies here, that your virtual events should sit really well alongside what's going on in real life. But the fourth piece of advice, having talked about everything that we do already know, is to invest in the skills you don't have. Providing that high quality hybrid experience might mean that you need to bring in, say, a professional audio visual team to support you on the ground if you don't already have those skills in house. It might also mean additional technical support. Now, as we said before, it can be tricky because you need to get that buy in at senior level, but the payoff will be worth it. 
Yeah. And again, this is just such a familiar issue for a lot of fundraisers and something they are used to having to deal with. The idea that you don't have the capacity or resource and you're trying to convince someone who doesn't understand that this is worth doing. But Nikki pointed out, you know, we've overcome this issue in other areas, so you can do it here too. Those skills to work within your organisation do exist. And I think the final piece of advice was to share your experiences and look to your peers to find out what worked for them and what didn't. Um, Nikki's argument was that fundraisers need to start sharing more of the successes or failures or challenges that their charities are seeing. A few have spoken about it, but there really could be more. And I, I mean, I suspect it's because we are in that process of testing and learning. But I have some examples of amazing digital successes that we've seen in the time. And I'm really curious to see how these organisations are going to start making hybrid work over the next couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like I feel like we should get a little klaxon for the podcast every time we talk about collaboration. <laughs> um, because we do, a lot of people advocate for it and we have seen it happen kind of in a in an unprecedented way during the pandemic and I think this is part of it actually, sharing information and how, you know, the results you've had, what you've done, what hasn't worked so well, what has worked so well, I think is 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 really good. Um and I think a lot of arts charities are going to have examples here because they were pushed into virtual offerings in such a big way during the pandemic. And you know, they're doing some really interesting work around ensuring those people that could attend the virtual events can still attend now they're back into kind of real life events and that their events are COVID and indeed Storm Eunice proof. Absolutely. And as well as helping you to tackle the challenges that you might be facing, getting this additional data and these case studies from peers in the sector may also help you on your journey to convince managers and trustees that hybrid events really can be worth any outlay. Realistically, of course, it is going to be a bit of a journey and an exploration for the sector over the next year or so as everybody tries to figure out exactly what's possible and what is going to help create that quality experience that we're all after. But by sharing and by discussing, we can, I think, get there a lot faster. And in the spirit of sharing... If you've had any hybrid events or ideas that have worked really well or that haven't necessarily come off the first time like you wanted but could be tweaked for next time, let us know. If you're sort of listening to this going, ah, we've got a better example, um, yeah, let us know. Tweet us at Third Sector or, or email us at thirdsector at haymarket.com. We'd love to hear from you, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Really interested to see what charities are going to do in this space. Like you say, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be really good. Each week, as ever, we bring you our Good News Bulletin, a positive or a quirky news story that we've spotted in the sector. Rebecca, what do you have for us this week? So I thought this was this was keeping in nicely with the theme of events. So we've got a pair of London-based entrepreneurs, Chantal Kerr-Shepherd and Karina Jant, who are repurposing and donating useful items that are no longer needed by UK events to charities, community groups and social enterprises. So this social enterprise event cycle was set up mid-pandemic when both founders were made redundant from jobs in the events industry, which you know, did happen on a pretty big scale. Uh, with their knowledge of the variety of items left over at the end of events, Event Cycle collects materials that would otherwise go into waste or recycling streams and places them with charitable and social causes um, or, you know, possibly back into the events industry. But just means that, you know, it's helping charities run events or do other things with these these things that would normally be thrown away. So we're talking about items such as white goods, stationery, wood, carpet. Apparently carpet gets left over from events uh, and furniture, which is all being directed to organisations across the UK. Obviously, the initiative benefits these causes by providing products for free that would have been bought, saving money that can be used for their communities and charitable programmes instead. And of course, you know, 
as one as uh, Karina, one of the founders, points out, Event Cycle tackles the problem of sustainability in one industry and creates a positive social impact in another by keeping materials in use and out of landfill. Um, Karina said that she wanted to make the event industry more sustainable and create a positive impact while doing so. So the pair behind the social enterprise have now started on a 10-month business development program, which was developed by the Asta Foundation. And that's designed to help bring these ideas to market and connect with potential partners and investors. Um, so yeah, hopefully that turns out really well. It sounds like a great idea. And yeah, good luck, guys. Absolutely. And, you know, I've actually been uh, cleaning out Third Sector's archive this week. And I do, in <laughs> fact, have uh, a whole collection of event banners, uh, which are going to be recycled. But if, you know, if anybody would like a Third Sector fundraising week banner from, say, 2016, and that Ooh, might be useful to you, vintage. please do just let us know. I would be very glad to pass it on. We have some very, very niche event gear, which is, I think, due to be recycled. But perhaps Event Cycle could do something fantastic with those. We'll be back with another episode soon, so make sure you subscribe to this, the Third Sector podcast, on your favourite podcast app to be the first to know about it. Until then, I'm Emily Burt. And I'm Rebecca Cooney. And thank you, as ever, to our producer, Lindsay Riley at Rethink Audio. We are taking a short event break next week, so you will next be hearing from us on the 25th of March. Until then, stay happy and well. And we'll see you soon.